Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Holly Fry. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Tracy, we talked about kitties this week. We sure did. Uh, that it was to be a little bit of a balm salve for some of our less delightful episodes that we've done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in particular, I had researched the one on swill milk right before this, and it was too much. I absolutely loved looking through various lists about famous historical cats. But what I really enjoyed was... Uh, once I had narrowed my list and started doing research, I mean, this always happens, right? Anytime you look at, and I'm not dogging any writers who who do these, like listicles that are like short, here are some famous things in a group. A lot of nuance always gets left out because that's just the nature of, of how those things work. So mm-hmm. I'm always delighted when I uncover all of the various deeper research and information about any of them. For example, the... Um, the <laughs> The the fact that like Richard the Third scholars have talked about this whole story with Wyatt and whether or not it's kind of overblown to make Richard the Third look bad and like this weird cat portion of it being involved. Oh sure, um, I love all of that. I love that portrait of Wyatt with his cat friend staring at him like, "Look, I brought you dinner," and he's just kind of spaced out looking elsewhere. I love all of it. But as I said. My very favorite, even though Unsinkable Sam is much loved in cat story circles, it's Mike the Cat. Yeah. Mike the Cat, I want to time travel to not hug you or try to hug you and get my face clawed off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like my brother's childhood allergies have become like a running theme in recent episodes of the show. <laughs> We should just do an episode about that. About my the brother's history of your brother's childhood. Um, I I wanted a cat from the time I learned the word cat, uh, and my brother, who's a couple years younger than me, had various allergies, and I don't I don't remember if we knew he was allergic to cats or if we suspected that a cat would be a problem. And so uh, my parents were like, no cats. Because we also lived on a very, very busy road that was not a safe place to have outdoor cats, which was a thing more people were okay with in 1977. (laughs) Yeah. So we had these family friends who had this mean old tomcat that, you know, lived at their, uh, their, their farm or their, uh, I don't know if it was an, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was an actual functioning farm, but like they had property that was even more in the country than we were. Uh, and I remember walking down the sidewalk, walking past the cat and the cat unprompted, just clawing the back of my leg. And not even that was enough to dem my love for cats. Oh Yeah. Which continued until we found a stray in the backyard who was terrified of the road. Um, and then that continued to be my cat all the way until college. Oh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned on this show before, right? Like, I grew up on kind of a little farm situation. And we always had dogs and never cats. Mm, yeah. And I, too, was like, I want kitties. I mean, I wanted everything. But um, when we moved to Florida from Washington State and it was no longer a farm situation, I remember one day on the way home from Saturday morning ballet class, my dad drove me to a place where they had cats. 
and said I could pick out a kitten. Um, And I picked out a little black kitten. And do you know that cat, which was, um, that we had that one in another growing up, um, as well as a couple of of Manxes, but she lived until I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, my early 30s. So she lived a very long life, even though she was an outdoor cat. You look at statistics, you know, outdoor cats usually live significantly shorter lives than indoor cats. Not always. They're clearly outliers. Um, and I, I know that's a big debate and a hot button issue that people will argue and argue about. And I do not wish to wade into that. Listen to your veterinarian's advice is all I can tell you. <laughs> uh, my cats are indoor only. Aside from it being safer for the local bird population, I have too much anxiety about their safety to let them leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, they have plenty of enrichment and activity to stir up in here. Um, so they all are very, you know, they get their needs met. But yeah, so Boo Boo, as her name was, lived a very, very long time and really started my lifelong love of cats. And of course, I've had many since then and continue to. Uh, and I see how people would want to immortalize cats with big characters like Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Unsinkable Sam, that's a great story. Yeah. I wandered into a portion of the internet where people today are still actively arguing about whether or not his story is true. Um, which <laughs> just goes to show you how passionately people feel both about animals and about um, the lore that grows up around them. You know, they're there are people that love that story so much and they're like, let me just believe this story and they will refute every argument and have reasons to explain the the disparate photographic evidence. If you want to believe it, it hurts nothing is where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an old, old episode in the archive about the Bismarck and I have no knowledge of whether it talks about a cat at all. I don't either. I didn't actually listen to that one because it is quite a ways back and it can be a little hard to access sometimes. But, um, yeah, I I like doing these fun ones. It's kind of like when we did our Hellhounds episode in oh, yeah. uh, October. I love them. They're super fun to to look at different ways people have memorialized and talk about and folklorized, for lack of a better word, um, stories about animals. They lend themselves to kind of becoming urban legend and folklore because... It's not like the cat ever gave its own account of how things went. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can, people that tell the story can kind of imprint what they want on it um, without the actual key player ever contradicting it, uh, which is very funny. I did read a tidbit that I didn't include in the Mike story that there was, you know, he wandered all over pretty openly. He wasn't afraid of being around people. He just didn't want to be petted and, you know, picked up and and fussed over. And there was one of the the areas of uh, one of the gates at the British Museum that he knew that if he was over there, he had a way that he could get up high on the gatehouse and get away from people and just stare at them, um, which is pretty cute. But he would also apparently hang out in the reading room. And as long as nobody bugged him, he was perfectly fine there. He didn't seem to want to go after anyone. He just, just let me do my thing. Just, yeah, don't touch me. <laughs> Be my thing. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to eat the fish that people are cooking for me. We started with a caterer cat and end up with a catered to cat, which is kind of uh, not by design, but how it worked out. Well, and and having gone to extreme lengths to feed a cat <laughs> who was, you know, approaching the end of her life, I, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm there for the making of fish and chicken. 
Oh, he was getting that all the time, though. That wasn't... Yeah. They made sure it was very soft at the end, but he was getting yeah, yeah. cooked for his, his whole life. I don't know if Mike ever ate a piece of kibble, for example. <laughs> I think he ate mightily well. Of course, that was before the huge rise in the um, industrialized pet food concept. Mm-hmm. So there may not have been kibble available. He's just eating, eating yummy things. I love that the waitresses in the little, you sometimes see it referenced as a cafe and sometimes as a refreshment room. We're giving him scraps every day. I think it's very mm-hmm. charming. You would think he would have liked them more. But apparently, don't touch me. Just put down the food and go. Uh, Which is kind of how I live my own life. So So, uh, we hope you enjoyed this one this week. I had so much fun doing it, and it was exactly what I needed. This week on the show, we talked about eradicating smallpox. Which, as I said, I was 100% convinced we had already covered. Yeah. One of the things that we did not get into in the episode, um, in part because it's it's not uh, it's not a, an easy thing to actually calculate for real, but sometimes you will see numbers about, like, how cost-effective the vaccine program was and, like, how many millions of dollars countries invested into it versus how many millions of more dollars they saved by not having to respond to smallpox outbreaks or treat people for smallpox or have all of the ongoing social and economic issues of people whose family members died of smallpox. And I wound up just leaving that out of the episode because I am tired of talking about people as though we are dollars. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I I understand the need for that kind of analysis, but it does tend to kind of dehumanize the whole situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there are also entire books that look at, like, particularly the U.S. involvement through a more foreign policy lens and looking at Cold War politics and that kind of stuff. And that is just not the lens that I took to look at this particular thing uh, again because I was mostly more interested in the idea of saving human lives and stopping a many thousands of year old deadly disease from freely circulating on the planet. That was where my focus was this time. Yeah, I mean, I could see where that might be top of mind. (laughs) (laughs) These times we're living in. It's, um... I I feel myself often vacillating, kind of being like, oh, I'm hopeful things will get better, and then it'll just tanks it. So this hopefully will be a balm for people on the same... I think a lot of us are on that roller coaster. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have um, a, a weekly dinner um, with a friend of mine that for uh, the period of the pandemic when... Uh, vaccines didn't exist yet, and a, a lot of times, like, the risk was really high in our area. Like, that whole time, we had a virtual lunch. We would get on our Google Hangout or our Zoom or whatever, and we would have our virtual lunch. And then when we were both vaccinated, we we uh, transferred that into being in-person but outdoors. And we the last time that we had uh had dinner we had this conversation about how frustrating it had been here in Massachusetts 
to have had basically a three-week span where everything in Massachusetts, like the entire Commonwealth of Massachusetts, was marked as low risk in terms of COVID transmission. And at that point, like, the numbers were escalating everywhere and have continued to escalate since then. And we talked about feeling um, simultaneously frustrated with that trajectory and having felt like we sort of saw, we saw an improvement on the horizon and then the the fortunes reversed while simultaneously knowing that like there are a, a whole lot of the world has barely any access to vaccines at all at this point. And, um, you know, as things were improving, Overall, in the United States, there was just a humanitarian catastrophe happening in India with its COVID levels, and this all interlocks together um, with both smallpox and renderpest. One of the things that we've talked about is, like, when you have a global disease, it cannot be addressed through just a piecemeal, everybody-taking-their-own-path kind of a situation. Like, a global pandemic requires a global effort and... I don't know if we're ever going to have one. <laughs> it, I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it, that's the hopeless moment, is it does not feel like it. I don't know how to cure it. Greater minds yeah. than I will hopefully figure it out, and I will do my best to help. Um, one of the things that also struck me while I was working on this, and I might have said something similar when we did that, uh, that sort of how we're doing at the very beginning of the pandemic episode, Working on this really made me think about how my parents were born before smallpox was eradicated in the United States. Uh, My parents are old enough to remember when polio was circulating within the United States, which polio, uh, no longer really a problem in the United States, but still a big problem in other parts of the world. And how, in a lot of ways, I feel really fortunate that it has taken me this long into my life to be in a situation where there is a disease that is spread through the air that is potentially lethal in this way, as with the COVID-19 pandemic, which just was not part of my experience before this part. Like, I'm I'm old enough to remember the start of the AIDS crisis, which was also terrifying, but HIV is also not airborne, which is, makes right. it a different uh, level of risk and fear involved. Uh Although I'm old enough to remember when we didn't really know how HIV was spreading. Oh, yeah, 100%. So that was, that was a, a scarier time for um, that particular disease. It continues to be scary because access to uh, drugs to treat HIV continues to be a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I think I've talked about it on the show. I uh, have done AIDS Walk with the same team every single year, and it's like mm-hmm. you still hear about how there are there is a perception that that is done and we've handled it. And it's like, no, 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 no. There is still, there are still people that need help. There are still people, you know, there are still new cases on occasion. There are still people that need outreach and support and community help. And so uh, I, I also wonder if our current situation will similarly be a thing that goes on and on forever and some people will I mean we already know some people act as though we are through it when we are clearly not yeah Um, it's a uh, on the one hand I wish I could like be an alien observing all of this from a remove because it is a fascinating 
Right. You know, all of the mechanisms in place and how reactions have varied and what's led to those is fascinating to look at. But unfortunately, it is more immediately concerning because we are not aliens that live far away and can look at this like a weird Petri dish. It is our our planet where we live with other people. Yeah. I similarly think about how if there are still podcasts in 100 years what hundred years from now podcasters are going to say about things that are happening right now. Oh, all the time I think about that. Like, how is this going to be reported and perceived and and what will they get wrong? Just as, I mean, we, you know, we in the bigger sense, you and I certainly at times, and, and in the much wider sense, the general understanding of the past on the part of humanity gets stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like how how is this going to be perceived? How will the history books get written about it? Yeah, still a weird time to be living through a human. <laughs> as, yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, as we've it's been a while since we've touched on this. I feel like uh, because for a while it's as we said, seems like it seemed like things were improving somewhat, but like you and I both have a lot of things sheltering us from a lot of the worst aspects of the pandemic, and it's uh, still scary and frustrating. So uh, our, our thoughts are with all the folks who are, uh, you know, in, in situations that are uh, worse than ours. Um, and including uh, parents who are wrestling with um, sending kids to school right now. As of this moment, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, a lot of schools are going to have been back in session for a period of weeks, but we'll see how that goes. We're kind of, yeah, as we record, we are right at that point where some schools have gone back, others are are about to go back. Some schools have gone back and four days later gone back to remote learning because there were too many. Yep. Cases. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, man, I was trying to lead this to a... Uh, a happier uh, moment to close on this particular episode for this thing that I chose to feel a little more optimistic for the show. And then we broke it. We did. Um, So anyway, I hope everybody's weekend is as restful and and fun as possible, whatever it is that's on your plate. We'll be back tomorrow with a classic episode and Monday with something brand new. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.